Well, good morning again. Good to see everybody. A number of people ask me how I'm feeling and recovering from COVID. I said I never got COVID, never had symptoms, never tested positive. Uh, but my whole family did. People say, that's so wonderful that you cared for them while they were sick. Nope. <laughs> I got out of there so fast. I left, let them isolate together. When three out of four people are isolating, it's kind of the fourth person who's isolated, so um, I'm a coward, but I didn't get sick, and I feel great, and they're recovered. They're fine, right? So praise God. So (laughs) I did drop groceries for them on the back steps, you know, (laughs) of your own home. Like, here's your groceries. (laughs) I'm going out. Um, uh, I do love them. I would have gone in and cared for them if they... But they, they did great. Um, all right, Ezekiel, back to Ezekiel. Remember, we're, 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 this is actually preaching through Ezekiel in, as a community. This is kind of a lot to jump into. Um, we started the first week, uh, we looking, Ezekiel had this amazing vision of, of God's glory. And there was this chariot with these amazing wheels held up by these creatures and this beautiful throne and the presence of God and but the interesting thing is God's presence was with Ezekiel. He's seeing it out. He's out in exile. He's nowhere near where God's presence is supposed to be. It was is out uh, in exile, away from where you think God would be. But God was there. So that's pretty comforting to Ezekiel. But it's also terrifying because it was kind of an ominous image of, of judgment coming. And so last week, uh, Pastor Dan looked at the prophet that God called, he, the, looking at Ezekiel's life and how he had this special calling and he was to feast on God's word. He was to take it in and he was to be filled with God's spirit to be able to accomplish these good things that God had put before him. And we think about our own lives that you know we may not be prophets in the sense like Ezekiel was or we may not have the spiritual gift of prophecy but each one of us is called to speak the truth of God's word into our everyday context. And so um, thinking of the sort of the, the prophethood of all believers. So that was last week. And then we left Ezekiel there and he's in a bad mood and he's sitting by the river for a whole week. And that's where we leave him. Then we come to this vision today, this amazing vision of all of the terrible things that people are doing. In between that time... It gets a little strange. So I want to focus on this vision that was just read for us, but I do want to fill in a little because it was really, God asked Ezekiel to do some bizarre things. And I just want to kind of fill that in if you're reading through the book yourself. But I want to focus on the image mostly because it's an image of all these different ways that people were practicing idolatry. And that's an important message for us because as the, the great reformer John Calvin put it, the human heart is an idle factory. That we are just good at setting up idols or worshiping things that are not God and pursuing things that are not in line with God's way. And of all the things that can get us off track in our journey of life and in our journey of faith, idolatry is probably the the number one thing that will pull us away from God's way. And we want to know and to live God's way because God made us, he designed us for a good way of life, a way that follows him and a way that experiences the very presence of God. And these are things that would drag us away from that. So we want to understand it 
then and understand it in our lives as well. Let us pray. So, Father, we just humbly ask that you would um, fill us with your spirit in such a way to understand your word, to understand your way, that you would show us your heart during this time and that we would know it and that we would grow in our faith. Even, even in this short amount of time, that you would use it to change us and to point us towards that which is good and right in line uh, with your heart, Lord. So we thank you that you love us that much, that you teach us, and that you change us. And so we commit ourselves to you, and we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so in verse 1, you see Ezekiel here. He says, in the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day, very specific date that he gives us. So we know that this is 14 months between the time we left him at the river and the time that he has this amazing vision. So what happened in that 14 months? It was his first year of ministry. I remember my first year of ministry. I did some crazy things. I made some mistakes. I took a group of teenagers to Juarez, Mexico. I'd never been to Juarez, Mexico. It's not a safe place. Um, and someone got sick, and I didn't handle it right. I made all kinds of mistakes. My first year of ministry was nothing compared to Ezekiel. This is what happened to him. So we leave him soaking by the river. Then in chapter 4, God says, look, I need you to do some things. I need you to build out of clay a model of Jerusalem and build like it's being attacked, all these little siege works. And then you're going to lie down and you're going to put a skillet between you and this model of Jerusalem being destroyed. And that's going to be, people are going to see you doing this and they're going to see this is what's going to happen to them. That Jerusalem's going to get attacked and destroyed and the skillet is like you're like God and you're separated from the people. That's kind of how this is playing out. It's, they're separated from me and they're going to not be safe anymore. So, so do that. So Ezekiel makes the little city out of clay. And then God said, you need you to lie on your side. And you're going to be tied up with ropes and lie on your side and just lie there. And it's like the weight of sin sitting on you. And you're going to do that for 390 days. And then you're going to flip on the other side and you're going to lie there for 40 more days, you know, tied up in rope. And people are going to see the weight of sin when they look at you. They're going to just, it's going to be an example to them. So that's Ezekiel's first year of ministry. He said, while you're lying there, you need to eat this bread. And God gives him a recipe, gives Ezekiel a recipe for bread. Have, and then, so this recipe for bread, this is being marketed today. Ezekiel 4.9 bread. Now, I need you to be honest here, show of hands. How many of you have actually eaten Ezekiel 4.9 bread? Okay, I have two. It's delicious. Now, here's, here's the thing. As described, as, described, as described in the Holy Scriptures, take also unto thee wheat and barley and beans and lentils and millet and spelt and put them in one vessel and make bread of it, dot, 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 Ezekiel 4.9. You know what the dot, dot, dot is? See, Ezekiel, you're going to bake this bread over human excrement. Now, how many of you who have eaten Ezekiel 4-9 bread called the people at Food for Life and said, excuse me, I have one question about this product that you're selling that you claim is made according to Ezekiel 4-9. 
do you bake your bread over poo? I bet you didn't make that call. Now, Ezekiel hears this. He gets this instruction. Ezekiel said, God, I cannot eat that. It is defiled, and I wouldn't defile myself like that. And, it, and this, oh, this recipe, all these different grains, it's a sign of scarcity. It, it's, you don't have one grain to make a proper bread, so you're going to just take a little bit of every kind of grain you can and just bake it over excrement, and it's, it's defiled, it's gross, it's insufficient. And now they sell it as health food, right? So, but Ezekiel said, I can't eat bread like that. And God relents, and he said, okay, you can cook it over cow dung instead of human excrement. And that's how you're going to eat. But this whole thing becomes an example to the people of just how bad it's going to be when the city gets destroyed. And eventually the city is destroyed. You can get rid of the bread. The, then, okay, that's chapter 4. Chapter 5, God said, now Ezekiel, I need you to shave your head and your beard and you're going to shave your body and you're going to take the hair and you're going to chop it up with a sword, some of it. And take some of the hair and burn it. And take some of the hair and just kind of throw it into the wind. It, this is an image of how the people are going to, the people are going to be destroyed and scattered and suffer. It's just a terrible image. So Ezekiel does all this stuff. Then in chapter 6 and 7 of Ezekiel, he's prophesying. He's putting it into words. So he's already put it into actions. Now he's putting it into words. Doom and gloom for everybody. That's his first year of ministry. Okay. Then we get to this vision here, and this is what I want to key in. This is Ezekiel chapter 8. And it's, it's sort of a, it's a vision, it's a dream. So God gives Ezekiel this vision. So he's swooped up, and he gets to go to Jerusalem in this vision. Now, remember, Ezekiel's living in, in Babylon in exile. He gets to go home, so that's great, right? No, it's not great, because Ezekiel, what he sees is not good. Four scenes in this vision. The first scene is, in verse 5, this idol of jealousy at the north gate. So this idol of, that provokes jealousy, it's probably an Asherah idol, so it's a statue. Um, Asherah was a Canaanite goddess. They would pray to her for protection. She was also a fertility goddess, so there was a lot of fertility and sexuality that's tied up in this uh, type of worship. And here we have uh, people doing this kind of worship. The second image, or the second scene in the vision, in verses 10 and 11, this is at the entrance of the temple court. And we have 70 elders, so these are the leaders of the people. And they're offering incense... So they have a censer with incense to animal figures, crawling animals and other dirty animals, images of them. This is an Egyptian type of worship. Now, why are the leaders of Israel, who are called to worship the one true God, now worshiping like they're Egyptians? Well, this is a season, politically, where they're very threatened. All these threats, Babylon and Assyria from the north, if they could just ally with Egypt, who's pretty powerful in the south, then maybe they'll have political protection, some military protection. So they're sort of covering their bases. If we, if we make sacrifices to the Egyptian gods, then perhaps Egypt will, you know, help us. The third image, this is in verses 14 and 15, we have women weeping for Tammuz. 
this mythical God who somehow died. And this is at the north gate of the temple itself. So progressively, it's getting further out from the gate to the court. Now we're right uh, towards the inner part of where God is supposed to be worshipped properly. It's getting closer and closer. Here they're doing this lamentation to a dead God instead of worshipping the living God. This type of worship, we understand, is a Babylonian-type ritual, and it's connected to the fertility of the land. So they're praying for their, essentially for their crops or for the success of their livelihood. That's how they made a livelihood, through agriculture. So they're praying blessing over that somehow. The fourth scene in verse 16, now they're right at the inner court of the temple. And here we have men turning their backs on the temple and bowing down to the sun. And this is sort of, this is right at the center of where proper worship is supposed to happen. And literally their backs bowing down, their backside, so that they can somehow worship a star. If we look at this scene together, it's very comprehensive. We have men, we have women, we have leaders, all involved in this idolatrous false worship. It involves Canaanite gods, Egyptian gods, Babylonian rituals, all kinds of gods, human figures, animal figures, the sun. It's, it's, a, it's a picture of complete abomination, completely what God did not want. And God says, this is going to drive me away and I'm going to deal with them. And then in, in chapter 9, again, Ezekiel's having the same vision. In chapter 9, the people get judged and punished very severely. You can read that. And then in chapter 10, he gets in his chariot, this, that thing that Ezekiel saw with the wheels and the creatures and this glorious throne. God gets on his throne in his chariot and he takes off away from his temple. I'm out of here. And God just leaves. So what does this mean for us? It means that God hates idolatry. God hates false worship. Idolatry, if we're to define it, is it's worshiping something in the place of God. So worshiping something other than God or something less than God, putting something else in the place where only God belongs. Two key words that I think are important are security and satisfaction. If we try to find security from something other than God, or if we primarily try to find satisfaction in something other than God, that's idolatry. When God gave his law to people, he said the first law is have no other gods before me. The second law is don't make any idols. Those are the two first things you need to understand. When Jesus was teaching, Jesus said the first, the greatest, the most important command was to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He said the number one thing is to be utterly devoted with all of who you are to the one true God. Don't chase other things for security or satisfaction or success in your life. And it was the, the biggest issue for these people was this was putting other gods before him. 
And they did, there was some bad stuff going on. They were, there was injustice and they were robbing the poor and these men were unfaithful in their marriages and there was violence in their land. But God said, the biggest problem here is this idolatry. This is leading to all that other stuff. Idolatry in Ezekiel's day looked, it's strange to us, these images and, and um, with statues and with incense and all these things that they were doing. But is what they were looking for really all that different? When they were bowing down to this, when they're worshiping this Asherah statue, this is about fertility and sexuality. Do people not make an idol of that in our world today? When they're trying to appease the Egyptian gods, they're trying to make a political alliance, a military alliance. Do people not make their political idolatries supreme in their life today? Are people not drawn to put their political ideals above the ideals of God's kingdom? When the women were weeping to, in some way, try to bring about the fertility of the ground and the agriculture to be successful in their business, are people today not, uh, do they not make idols of their business and their work and their success and their money and their wealth? The idols are all the same. The way that we pursue them looks very different. But the things that we pursue and the things that we put before God, whether it's pleasure or political ideals or success in business, it's the same stuff. We want to control the world. And we want to, we want to achieve and have success in all these things apart from God's way. And the key verse here is verse 12, when they said, the Lord does not see us, the Lord has forsaken the land. They didn't see enough action from God, and they just did it their own way. And if we are not careful, we can look at our world and say, you know what, God's moving a little slow, or I don't like the way things are going, and I've tried God's way, and I claim faith in God, but you know what, I'm going to work and do my life just in case he's really gone or absent or not with us. And living life as if God is not there. It's not that God had abandoned them. They abandoned God. That's why idolatry is such a big deal. God has called us to know him, to experience him, to follow his way. And that way is going to be an example to the world around us. But with idolatry, we become like the world around us. We pursue pleasure and we pursue success and we pursue life the way that the rest of the world does and we become indistinct and we are no longer a blessing and a light to the world. We're just, just like the rest. So what do we do? We've talked about idolatry in the past and the things we put before God. We, all we need to do is reveal it. We need to know it and we need to replace it and put God back where he belongs. We reveal, God, reveal to me and sometimes God reveals those things. That just you know, What do you spend most of your time thinking about? What are you most worried about? What makes you the most angry when you see it in the world? And is that revealing to you something that, that is taking the place of where God needs to be supreme in your life? And if you see that, you say, God, I, I turn from that and I want to put you back there. I want to trust you. With this thing. Not that we're pursuing bad things, but we take good things and we make them ultimate things, and that's when it becomes an idol. We need to see the beauty of God, the, the, the freedom of following His way, 
the beauty of worshiping him, not pursuing anything else that can never satisfy. So again, God points out all this idolatry. He shows how judgment is going to come and then gets on his chariot and leaves. His presence, the very temple, the building that he allowed people to make for him, where his glory would be known, his glory leaves and goes away. And really, even the, the temple gets destroyed. They end up rebuilding it at a certain point in the future, but God's glory never returns in that way. Now, preaching Ezekiel is a little tough because we're just taking a little part of the story. At the end of the story, there's a lot of hope of restoration and God rebuilding his people and giving them new life. But what's happening here is a group of people who, instead of going God's way, they go their own way and it separates them from God's presence. That's the story. That's everybody's story. That's the story of humanity. Adam and Eve in the garden... They can have a perfect world and a perfect relationship with God. They go their own way, and God has to banish them from his presence, separated from God's presence. For us, we, we can have a relationship with God and follow God, but we go our own way, and it separates us from God. But God's glory eventually returns. But he doesn't return on his chariot and on his big throne. He returns in a manger. And Jesus came to declare that God's kingdom is present. It's here, and you can be part of it if you turn from your way and put your faith in him. And all of God's judgment that goes against this idolatry that he detests, it goes on Jesus on the cross, and he pays the penalty for us, that if we just trust him and turn back to him, we receive forgiveness in a new way of life that we can truly follow and walk in his ways. And we, we wrestle with it and we struggle, but God's grace is sufficient as we keep turning back to him. And then we are empowered by his spirit. So God's glory fills the temple. And, and, and as the Bible describes that we are God's temple, that, that God's glory and his spirit fills us and empowers us to be God's presence in the world, that the world can see who God is through what he's doing in our lives uh, to, to bless the world. And we can go and we can see how freeing and how beautiful it is if we put God first, if we worship him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and put nothing in the place where he belongs. It is a good way of life. It is right, and it brings goodness with us as we go. Let us pray. God, I pray that you would teach us how to be dependent on you. Teach us how to trust you more. I pray that you would show us where we have put things above you and before you, where only you belong, Lord. Help us to see those things. Help us to turn from those things. May we receive your grace and put you first. Lord, just as you gave Ezekiel a tour of the city and all that was wrong, Lord, search our hearts, Lord. Show us your, your way, your kingdom, and how we can be part of it, Lord. Give us faith. We thank you that you love us enough to pursue us. That you reconcile us to yourself. You don't just, you're not just distant, but you come to us with your grace. May we receive it with hearts of gratitude and give you all the glory. 
In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.